0: Welcome, uh, Hilary Jacobs Hendel, uh, author of It's Not Always Depression. She's joining us today on uh, Before You Kill Yourself. And I'm excited because I just uh, finished listening. Here's what I love about your book. And here's what I love about the title. It's not always depression. Because I feel like the word depression uh, is such a buzzword right now. It's such a trendy and people with limited uh, emotional vocabulary are just defaulting to saying that they're depressed when really they may be anxious or sad or overwhelmed or hurt. Uh, can you can you speak about where that title came from and, and what got you into writing a book?
1: Sure. And thanks so much, Leo, for having me on the show. I'm I'm really happy to be here and to share to basically to pay forward what has helped me personally so much. Helped my well-being, my mental health, my relationships. So um, this all started because I became a therapist as a pretty much a third, maybe even a fourth career. And uh, in my journey to become um, I'm a t- uh, kind of a type A person where I want to, you know, when it comes to helping people, I like to know everything I possibly can and i take it very seriously and that means learning a lot of different methods and i came across this type of method that i now teach and that i write about called aedp which stands for accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy and i want your viewers to just know you know to make a note of that because um it's not mainstream yet it 's growing like crazy, but we have CBT and uh, psychoanalytic psychotherapy, which are what people know about, and uh, they need to know about other methodologies so so basically, in a nutshell, I started practicing this type of work and it was really transforming my practice because it was changing people and helping them in a uh, in a way that i couldn't do with these other methods so I was never a writer, but I I felt after 10 years of practicing this method, I had a growing pet peeve that the information that I had and that was helping me and that was helping my patients and my colleagues and their patients was not translating fast enough into the public for everybody to know that there are things that I believed that we should be learning in high school that could make a big difference in helping us feel better and, and thrive more in life and meet with all the multitude of challenges of modern living. Right. Everybody suffers, whether they put their best foot face forward on Facebook and everything looks great on social media and people go, yeah, I'm fine. Everything is great. It's not everybody suffers. So I sent an article to The the New York Times. There was a column that no longer exists that was called The Couch Column. And it was for psychotherapists and, and patients in psychotherapy to write in stories. And I wrote this story that was called It's Not Always Depression, The editor from The Times gave it the title, and it was about that we suffer from shame and that when we have too much shame, it can look like depression, and if we're treating someone with medication only or cognitive behavioral therapy and we're not treating the underlying emotion that... Of shame, which we all have and nobody talks about, and the interesting thing about shame as an emotion is, it is the most excruciatingly painful, annihilating, lonely experience, right? Where we feel somehow defective or not worthy of connection, or um, uh, that that we can't show our true self because it won't be received, it won't be loved, it won't be liked, and that this this type of shame. We're not born with. It develops in our families and in our cultures when certain aspects of our, our our true authentic self are rejected. Whether we're abused or emotionally neglected or physically neglected, all the way to even just having a loving family, but where they don't understand who we are, that we're different from our parents, that we're either not academic or we're not athletic or we're not straight you know we may be queer or gay and um that these that when our parents because they're not educated about emotions and how not to create shame and excess anxiety that we can develop this sort of toxic shame that looks like depression so I wanted to write an article about that because I felt that could be important to help people and it really had helped me understanding these things and the article that Totally surprising to me, the article was printed by the Times, and it went viral. And then I was asked to write a book on on anything related to this article. And uh, and I was I thought to myself whether there was this triangle that I learned about that I really thought at the moment I I learned it. Why hadn't I learned this years ago? It would have helped me if I'd seen this in high school. And so I decided to write. And adapt this academic model of understanding emotions and depression and anxiety and the ways that we block our emotions in order to fit in for the public. And they named the book, It's Not Always Depression, because the article did so well that they wanted uh, to keep this the same title. But what it really means is, you know, people say, well, if it's not depression, what is it? It's, It's life it's the hardships, it's surviving our childhood, it's surviving trauma, but it's also surviving adversity. So whether it's the adversity of being of color in this uh, white supremacist society, or whether it is the adversity of being bullied, or whether it's the adversity of having divorce or living in poverty, all the way on up to overt abuse and neglect, All these experiences that we have shape how we form and the brain, and they also evoke emotions. And whether we pay attention to those emotions or bury them the way we're taught to do in our emotion-phobic society makes all the difference for whether we feel well or we feel terrible. And so that's what the book shows, uh, a new approach to understanding emotions that we none of us receive. Even therapists are not receiving. It's not being taught in, in, in the 99% of, of Ph.D. and um, social work programs, let alone in undergrad. And, um, and so I just felt there was a, a missing piece in mental health and wellness and personal development that needed to be shared. So I shared it. I didn't invent anything new. I'm not a researcher. I just took all the academic literature and research and I repackaged it so that it was easy to understand and put it into like a beach read. And you can tell me because you just finished listening to the book, whether it was accessible and simple and the stories were compelling and, and that.
0: You know, the thing that I love about what you just said is that we are living in a society where we're not only being taught and trained to bury uh, the quote-unquote negative emotions of anger, shame, guilt. But we're also being taught to uh, suppress the, the, the positive emotions of joy, excitement. You know, we want the kids in the classroom to, uh, to be quiet, mm-hmm. to raise their hand, uh, to not make any noise, you know, speak when, uh, don't speak, you know, uh, be seen but not heard, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, sometimes if you're too over joyful or excited, then it looks like pride, um, mm-hmm. or or ego, or uh, overconfidence, things like that. So so now this, you know, stoicism is is making its its rounds, and it's it's the exact opposite of what we should be doing, which is, like you said, connecting more to our core emotions and. You know, the thing I love about your book is that you, you really do uh, simplify and make it easily digestible for for readers to understand and unpack our emotions um, and so that we can feel better to feel better.
1: Mm-hmm. Well said. Exactly. Yeah, right? That's exactly what I wanted to convey, to feel better about feeling yeah, and emotion and You're right on and positive emotion. We struggle with in my practice. When, um, uh, when I work with patients, I find people struggle more with positive emotions than even with negative emotions. Like somehow that's okay. You know, if I feel sad and, and, uh, and, and angry and and down, but for when I ask when someone shares something positive, they do it so quickly and then they go, but, or anyway, and then I'm like, wait, 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 can we just slow down and rewind you know, that's like awesome what you just told me about getting, um, you know, an accolade at work or, uh, you know, getting some kind of positive feedback about you. Can we just stay there for a moment and just notice what that feels like, not only in your head, but what happens in your body? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's like, that is awful. And then we get curious about that and we have to all relearn how to feel, expansive and big without feeling like it's it's threatening in some way
0: you know go ahead yeah.
1: no and I just wanted to make a clarification because yeah. when I start to talk about emotions I imagine everybody like rolling their eyes and going oh you know emotions they're they're awful and they're dangerous and and they're big and what I want to just make a delineation right from the get-go is that I'm not teaching people to be emotionally dis um displaying in other words this is not about excuses for acting out anger for mm-hmm. behaving badly for crying at work uh, you know for crying all over the place and and <laughs> sort of using it as manipulation to get sympathy yeah. when i what i'm teaching about is an as a an internal process of not turning away from a feeling when it happens but doing exactly the opposite of our natural instinct, which is to kind of move into our head and to move away from a a feeling. I want people to begin to think about moving into a feeling and getting curious about it because we have emotions for a reason and we need to listen to them. And in this full way of what it means to experience an emotion, which is a very specific thing, right? It's to be able to know you're having a feeling, name what that emotion is, feel it in your body to be able to say, you know, I know I'm feeling sadness because I have a heaviness in my chest, or I know I'm feeling anger because I feel this energy rising up from my belly that makes me want to explode, but I don't have to explode, right? I can sort of think what made me angry or what made me sad. And then the very last step, once you get very familiar with why this feeling is here, what it's telling you that is meant to be adaptive, because we evolved to have emotions not because they're not adaptive, but it's because they help us survive and they're a compass for living in conjunction with our logical brain. And we need both. We need to listen to the emotions in the body and listen to our thoughts and then come to common sense conclusions about how to address our feelings in constructive ways that help us uh, thrive and do better in life no matter what challenges right it's not if challenges and bad things happen because they do happen to all of us it's what you what happens next what you do with those moments to make things better and to learn from them as opposed to making things worse and repeating mistakes over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, because you even in the book, you talk about how uh, anger is not a good or bad thing. It's what you do with the anger, because anger, uh, in a healthy way, it could compel you to act in a healthy way, it could compel you to write a book or mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, uh, start a, a business or, uh, you know, to volunteer exactly. or to read to a loved one or even to apologize, or it could, you know, compel you to create and construct and connect, or it could, it could compel you to destroy if, if you don't know how to harness your, your anger.
1: Exactly. Perfectly said. I have nothing to add. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My, so what are, can you go for us the, cause you talk about core emotions and then you also talk about the, um, uh, not d- diminished. What, what was the in, word for the, for the,
1: the, for anxiety, guilt, and shame. Yes. The, the inhibitory emotions. In,
0: the inhibitory yes. emotions.
1: Yeah. Yes. Can,
0: you, can you go through the, the core emotions for us? Yes.
1: yes. And then I'll sort of give you the broad brushstroke of what each of these categories does, but in a yeah. nutshell, um, so these core emotions are what we are born with. They're they're in essence these programs that teach us that sh- that help us respond to the environment in ways that help us live better. And they are anger, sadness, fear, disgust, joy, excitement, and sexual excitement. And all of those emotions have an, an action what we call in the jargon, an action tendency, an adaptive action tendency, meaning an automatic response when we, when, so for example, when uh, let's say something happens in the environment and you feel disrespected, right? Somebody says something meaningful or not to mean, you know, on purpose or not on purpose, we will, our ears will hear it, we'll look at the, our eyes will pick up the expression and the tone on their face, And not not consciously, the middle of our brain will make an assessment, and uh, nine times out of ten, that assessment is, I feel attacked, and it's going to evoke this emotion called anger. Again, none of this is conscious yet. So uh, anger gets triggered in the middle of the brain, and then the first thing the brain does is it sends impulses down to the rest of the body. Through various nerves, like the vagus nerve, which is the big one. It's a nerve that attaches to every organ in the body practically. And it will allow us to, it will make us ready to do what anger wants us to do, which is to protect ourselves and defend ourselves. So that we are, when we slow down enough, and not, this is what the book helps you do and what I help my patients do, is to slow down enough where you can actually perceive all the physical changes. Uh, or not, or or the predominant ones that that we have an ability to sense in the body when we are triggered to anger, and those will be similar for some people and different for some people. But if you take a moment now, Leo, to even think about when you're angry, and scan your body from head to toe, trying to conjure the memory of your anger, um, do you have a a sense of what changes in, in your body? And if you don't, that's uh, okay. But is there any I, I f- just physical sensation?
0: It. Yeah, I I, I I usually feel it uh, in my hands. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could feel my hands. You know, it's like making a fist. You'd yes, impulse to want to punch a wall, and um, my uh, my vision. I get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Um, my breathing becomes shallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, my I don't want to say even my thinking becomes, um, uh, uh, limited is not the word, but it's hard for me to zoom out. It's hard for me to see, to, to to be connected to the big picture, to, um, to see anything else except what I'm really feeling and what I'm upset with, you know, at that moment, it's almost like I have blinders on. Um, and then I it just overall, I think the the body goes through this like where it it contracts and expand is like contracting and expanding, like it's like it's getting ready to. It doesn't know if it should fight or flight or you know freeze. It it, it goes through all these different uh, iterations. I mean, I, I think of the Hulk obviously as I'm now as I'm describing it only because I just saw a picture of the Hulk uh, a few minutes before we were. But uh, but yeah, all those different physical sensations start to uh, yeah manifest itself
1: right on. And you, it's so great you you notice so much. And right, I relate to all of that, and I'm sure many people listening do as well. Um, for me, I also feel this kind of fire in my belly and this energy. That is actually, you know, after doing this for 10 years, I can feel like the core emotions, which are what we're talking about, have impulses for action, right? So even when you say you feel like your hand in your hands, right, right, it is, it's literally preparing you for a fight. And so if you, this energy that's kind of coming out and wanting to help you fight and help me fight and help, these are universal properties, right? This is, these are just basic human emotional phenomenology right it's just what happens across cultures across race across everything men and women and everything in between so that is upward energy and all these core emotions have this type of energy that is pushing up for expression um with sadness, right, we have a feeling, but the impulse for sadness is to talk about it and to connect and to be comforted. When we're excited because something is good, uh, people describe, you know, this energy in the body, too, where if I say, you know, if you just stay with that energy and it can come, if you imagine it could come up and out of your body, what, what shape would it take? And people say things like, oh, I feel like jumping for joy or skipping or dancing, so, we've got a lot of energy, emotional energy that is, I don't mean it in the woo-woo, new agey sense of the word. it's really a biophysics. it's it's actual energy, and it comes up and out. So we've got this kind of emotional energy that's coming up when we are triggered to emotion in our core emotions. And then the inhibitory emotions is a downward, it's a pushing down on these emotions the inhibitory emotions, which are anxiety, guilt, and shame, are also evolutionarily there to keep us socially connected, to keep us in the good graces of our families and groups. And when you have small amounts of anxiety, guilt, and shame, they are functioning adaptively. So, for example, if I'm a little kid... And I get angry, right, because my mom says, you know, don't stick your finger in the electric socket. And I want to do that. And I all of a sudden start punching her because children have these sort of unthwarted, these free hits. Like, it's so cool when you, like, look at kids, you see pure core emotions yes. in infants and children. So my mother has to, if, if I start hitting my mother, my mom has to say, you know, it's, it's not okay to hit people right? But if my mother says, what a terrible little boy you are or terrible little girl for for hitting your mother, you should be ashamed of yourself. If you ever hit me again, I'm going to beat the ever living crap of you. Now, all of a sudden, we're giving a message that the, the child's brain hears as dangers. If I have anger, I'm in danger. And Now all of a sudden is the the birth of how our emotions get shut down. So any time in the future now, when I need my anger to know if somebody is hurting me, it's anger is sort of going to be linked in the brain with danger. And it's going to be squashed down with either anxiety, guilt, or shame. And the the body can, can do this. So for example... Uh, I teach people that anxiety is really a signal. Now, when you have anxiety, you want to look for the underlying core emotions. And anxiety is, again, a full body experience where I I don't know about you, Leo, but I I mostly feel anxiety is sort of a full body vibration, you know, in in my chest. Uh, I feel wobbly. I have a sense of dread. Um, Other people experience anxiety anyway from a pit in the stomach. I'm sure many people can relate to that to getting dizzy, to getting nauseated, to spacing out, to completely dissociating, like having an out of body experience. So anxiety can manifest in in many ways. And we want to really get to know our anxiety so we can quickly recognize it and and have strategies to kind of come back, you know, if we're out of body into our body, because that's a scary experience and to know what to do to look for the emotions and to work this triangle that I write about in the book. Shame is another way that we learn to squash emotions. And that's pretty much like a a turtle going into a shell, right? If our parents or, or church or our synagogue or our, our peers, someone bullies us, right? They, they call us a name, particularly in the middle of an exuberant feeling, right? Like, uh, like a kid who does well in school and is like, hey, you know, I look at me. I'm like so smart. And then all of a sudden a friend is like, you know, you're full of yourself. Or worse, your, your parents say that, you know, don't be so big for your britches. We withdraw like a turtle going into their shell. And because the brain is biased to look for negative experiences and to remember negative experiences, so we don't reproduce them, again, every time we feel exuberant, we now... Pull inward instead of allowing ourselves to pull outward. So, the thing the, the main idea is that there's this polarity between core emotions coming up and inhibitory emotions pushing them down,
0: right?
1: And sometimes shame is good, right? Like when we do something shameful, like hurting another person, right? It's not okay to hurt other people in our culture, it's not really sanitary and safe for people to urinate or defecate on the street. There's a reason we don't run around naked on the street. So those are like the ways that shame civilizes us, right? These are agreed upon rules that we don't do, transgressions. But when people are being shamed for their feelings and their authentic self, right, being shamed, again, for their sexuality, their sexual preferences, their gender, their color, their religion, Uh, who they are as people, then we get into the realm of toxic shame because we have to isolate parts of ourselves and that doesn't feel good. And in fact, it causes symptoms of mental illness. Like depression. How
0: would you uh, recommend someone respond, especially children, but even adults, we get that when you know, we act, you know, we're exuberant or excited and people say, don't get too big for your britches. Mm-hmm. What's an appropriate response to that? Should we, or should we even respond or how should we, what's the steps for that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. As an adult or as a child?
0: Uh, For I mean, I guess both because, you know, I I know I have both listeners and I have parents listening and I'm sure there are kids who are hearing this from their teachers or their parents or from other students and adults hearing it. You know, I've I've heard it, you know, for different reasons. So, uh, you know, you or you know, whichever one you want to. Yeah. back first.
1: Well, the the thing about kids is they really don't they don't know enough and they're not sort of confident and strong enough to respond. The kids tend to think adults know what they're doing and they tend to be afraid of adults and they defer to adults and uh, like a kid in a in a parenting household where there's abuse and neglect will will what will rather take in that there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. and that's why they're being abused and neglected even though the concept of abuse and neglect isn't in their head, they will be treated badly, feel badly, and think that that means that there's something wrong with with them. But by the time you're a teenager and you can start to learn, you know, and you have a little bit of um, the capacity to think reflectively, and certainly young adulthood and adults and parents need to learn all about emotions so they don't unwittingly create shame and anxiety in their children. But as an adult, really, um, if somebody said something, like if I said something right now and you said to me, don't be too big for your britches, I would say, I guess I'd say, why, what did, what I, what did my feeling good about myself, how did it affect you just now? Like, what, why do you need to shut me down? Because it's not about me. It's really about you and me. And it's about the other person. And what my comment evoked. Same thing with, like, being sad. A lot of the stereotype is that men try to fix. You know, in in, um, in conventionally um, heteronormative couples, and you see a, a man and a woman, and a husband and a wife. And and um, women are constantly telling me that my my partners don't listen. They just want to fix me if I'm sad. They come up with all these solutions. And the idea is we are trying to fix in a way because we can't. Bear uh feeling another person's feeling we have this thing called empathy that connects all humanity and so emotions are contagious so if i'm sad and you don't know what to do with that and you can't tolerate sadness in yourself you're going to kind of put it back on me and it's like okay there's something wrong with your sadness we have to fix it so neither of us are feeling sad anymore And instead, when we learn that emotions aren't anything to be fixed, they have to flow and we can help another person flow with their emotions. But first, we have to understand what emotions are bringing up in us. So going back to, you know, the idea to shut down somebody who's feeling too good about themselves, you know, if I have if I feel a a compulsion to say, don't be too big for your britches, I need to look at myself and say, "Hmm, why does it upset me? Or why do I need to shut somebody down if they're feeling good? What does it bring up into me? And not to judge myself, but to be very curious and compassionate. You know, maybe it makes me feel bad about my accomplishments and then I have to deal with my jealousy or my envy. Maybe it scares me because if, boy, if somebody has permission to feel good, then maybe I have permission to feel good. But when I start to actually feel expansive in my body, I get slammed with the anxiety and guilt and shame that I learned in my childhood. And so it's much more complex and nuanced, but with some basic emotion education. That's why I just love this stuff. Everything becomes organized and clear, and we have a path towards working on ourselves if we choose to. Um, which I you think is what, a great idea. Yeah.
0: You know, it's great about what you just, you, cause you just brought up jealousy and envy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just had a, uh, you know, being in a, being a comedian, being in the entertainment industry, people are always uh, my colleagues and, and friends always come and have good news. You know, they, they got this, uh, they got a TV show or they sold this or uh, they're going on tour with such and such or whatever. And it, It brings up feelings of jealousy, of envy. And, but you, I never say that, right? We Mm -hmm. we as a culture don't say that. We just go, oh, congratulations, or good for you, or I'm so proud. But inside, we're like, why didn't I get it? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, or what does this mean? Or it brings up fear and anxiety. And uh, I mean, I just had that happen uh, uh, yesterday. And, you know, I was just keeping the, the, you know, the stoic face of congratulations, that's wonderful. But inside, I was like freaking out and, um, uh, you know, feeling like I wasn't, it made me feel like I wasn't doing enough because here's this person progressing. And then I, you know, and then it made me forget about all the progress that I've made. Right. You get that tunnel vision again Mm -hmm. where you're just comparing yourself to the other person and you know not even realize you weren't even working on what they got or you know or what they received you're, you're working on something completely different but still you just want you know I it, it, it just yeah it just spirals out of control so it just it made me realize how often I do feel jealousy and I mean I just don't own it and then you end up trying to swallow it and then it comes out in some other uh, I'm sure d- destructive way uh, whether you then overwork to compensate because you, you feel inadequate mm-hmm. or you uh, you hide and, and do nothing because you feel like you'll never reach the levels that the other people uh, in your circle have reached. Yeah. It, yeah. That, if that made sense.
1: Oh, um, it all made so much sense again. Cause you know, I'm, I relate. I'm, we're human. I, I Who who can't relate to that? And you know, it's torture, right? And of course, you know, jealousy and envy—they're so natural, right? We're not going to get rid of those feelings,
0: right, right, right.
1: It's what happens next. And there's so much you said here that um, that I I just want to say a couple things. One, again, is. You notice so much, right? And I, I guess I'll just share a brief story because it, it just sparked something that uh, meant so much to me, and I learned so much. I have a, a friend from college who had wanted to be a writer and did some writing. And when years later she had another profession, but when I shared that I had gotten this book deal, she said to me, and I was scared, you know, to share it with friends. I thought they would. I didn't want to evoke jealousy and envy. And yet I wanted to, you know, my, my excitement made me want to share. And she said the perfect thing, which was, she said, Hillary, I am so jealous and, and not even a, but I am so happy for you. And that is the key again, that we hold all of the feelings and, the fact that she shared that with me, it just, ah, oh, I could relax because she didn't have to, we didn't have to pretend. <laughs> and I could then say, yeah, I totally understand that. And <laughs> thank you so much for being happy for me, for making room for one, sharing authentically. Right. So then I don't have to be anxious about this thing that can't be spoken about. And for being happy for me and for her incredible emotional skillfulness to be able to to hold both of those things, um, separately. Like I tell a lot, you know, when, when we're hel- when I'm helping people with emotions and when we're learning to deal with emotions, often events trigger more than one emotion at the same time. And they're often conflicting. So for example, you know, if you like are deeply in love with your partner, but you've been living together for many years, they're going to do things that are going to piss you off and that are going to make you maybe hate them in the moment. And if you don't know how to hold love and hate at the same time and know that they can both exist in a given moment, right? Because emotions are moments. It's then they pass. And then we sort of get back our, our peripheral vision, as you were saying, the tunnel vision goes down, the body calms down, we can think again. So I would just say, um, one to validate the jealousy and the envy to, to tell yourself to not be hard on yourself, right? That It's totally normal. Like my internal speak would say, you know, something like, oh, you know, Hillary, that that sucks when somebody else gets something that you want. I would give myself compassion, which a lot of people struggle to do, especially if they weren't treated compassionately. I would validate the underlying core emotions of sadness for myself and um, fear that I will never make it. Um, And. Then I would validate all those, what I didn't write about in the book, but, um, but I, we, I learned them as, as a therapist, these things called relational emotions, like the emotions that connect us, like jealousy, like you're jealous about another, about something else, and you're envious. It's in relationship, desire, longing. These are sort of more relational emotions, and they matter too, but just to validate those feelings as well. And um, then, of course, I keep reminding My myself and my friends and my patients and my family members who care to listen to my cycle babble. That um, there's a great phrase: compare and despair. Because when we compare ourselves to others, which many people do, it really doesn't serve us. And the brain naturally does it, but we have to fight against it. And the way that I do that is by saying to myself: compare and despair. That life is a lot of luck. And some people get lucky breaks, and it doesn't mean that we're not as talented, and is not as smart, and is not as personable. And that's we have to mourn those losses.
0: The the word "and" is so powerful, mm-hmm. and and I think that you know because I I was raised uh, with this all or nothing. It's like you know I, I listen to a lot of hip hop and rap, and 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 that hip hop is like either you're with me or you're against me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, 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 but you are acknowledging that I can both love and hate you. I can, I can both be jealous of you and happy for you. Mm-hmm. And the word and is just so powerful because you're right. We can contain so many different emotions. Uh, and, uh, I think we've, and I, I at least for me, I know I've just always felt like I can only have one, like, yeah. oh, I, I can't feel if I feel this, then surely I can't feel that. Or, you know, you can't be. um, uh, One of the things I want to bring up is there's a part in the book where you mentioned that um, if you're too excited and and too overjoyed, that that can even lead to uh, feelings of anxiety, Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was really interesting because like before I do shows, I intentionally try not to get too excited about it because then I notice if I'm too excited about it, I start to feel overwhelmed and then I start to feel anxious. Okay. So a lot of times, but then there are other comics who I see trying to get, you know, they try to get all excited and, and hyped up before the show and, and I realize that it has the exact opposite effect on me. I don't put out a good show if I, if I do that. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting that can you can you talk more about that? How if we're too overexcited or overjoyed and because usually I think we think anxiety comes just from like negative, negative places. But sometimes you come from a lot of positivity. And
1: yes, yes, exactly. Uh, a- absolutely. So um, there's there's a few sort of there's two main things to think about with anxiety that cause when emotions cause anxiety and one is when you have conflicting emotions come up that causes anxieties like we just spoke about a moment ago and the other is when you have emotions are so big that they're sort of overwhelming the, the the system and um so excitement is uh is a great one to be with and uh, anger is another one because they're, they're big. But let's stay with excitement for a moment uh, to see if we can help you, Leo. <laughs> so, uh, and excitement is something, you know, I've thought a lot about. First of all, anxi- excitement and anxiety feel very, very similar. And uh, so when you feel anxious, you have to really ask yourself, you know, as I, as I teach, to really, you could go through each of the, the emotions when you're anxious and say, am I sad? Check. Am I angry? Check. Am I fearful? Check. You know, kind of run a checklist. Uh, Am I sexually excited? No. But let's say you're anxious before you go on stage and you check in. Am I excited? Yes. What happens is because excitement has so much energy that it's the way I imagine it is that it's pushing up. It's like there's not enough space in our body for it to move. It gets it's like bumping up against the top of my skull, and you know the confines, the physical confines of my skin, and then kind of boomeranging back in, and all this energy kind of in a spiral slurry, you know, going all over feels like anxiety because anxiety does sort of have a spiral churning sense to it. So one of the ways that you can help that is there's this cool thing in psychotherapy that we can all practice which is that the brain does not really know the difference between fantasy and reality when it comes to emotions, meaning we can use imagination and imagine something. And there are studies where you hook people up to FMRIs and MRIs. So for example, if I imagine I am running, right? So I close my eyes and I'm just imagine I'm running a marathon. It will light up the same areas in the brain if I was actually running, which is so cool. So, a, a lot of the work we do in healing and the trauma work I do is we can't actually change someone's past but we can change how they feel about the past by going back into old traumatic scenes, imagining what should have happened, right? Like like an adult rescuer to come in and and like knock the perpetrator's block off and, and pick up the child and carry them away to someplace safe. You just read, I have these stories in the book of what that looks like. And so with excitement, I use fantasy to manage my own excitement. So let's say, you know, something hits, um, like, uh, you know, I just got a New York Times article accepted, which is true. So I have an article coming out in the well well column soon. And I get a rush of excitement. I allow, I imagine if that excitement could come out and burst through the confines of my skin and I take... It, this is sort of a practice, so I'm not sure if it's if your viewers are going to understand it without reading the book or without reading more examples, but I tune into that excited energy in my body, and then I imagine if it could burst out into a fantasy, What does that excitement want to do? And then I imagine, so maybe I'm on a stage and I see like a crowd of thousands of people and they're all applauding me. It's like really allowing your grandiose self to have a fantasy. And, and you just allow that fantasy to come out until the energy passes through. Like you will pass through it. The energy of an emotion is like a wave, a core emotion. This is, not, this is not the same for anxiety, guilt, and shame. Core emotions come up, they crescendo in a wave, and then they calm down when you don't block them. So I will allow whatever grandiose fantasy or jumping up and down or everybody applauding me. Until I am done, and I might take a physical stance also that helps. Um, There's a woman, um, Amy Cuddy, who writes about power poses. So I will do a power pose, and I'll stand there with my... My arms up, spread out, my legs spread out, big smile on my face, imagining what the excitement is, which I could imagine you doing like on stage, everybody applauding like you're the best. And here I go. It's going to be a great performance. And just trying to let that energy come out and and see if that helps as opposed to containing it.
0: I love what you just said that (laughs) it makes absolute sense. Um, you know, it's that idea of like the way out is through. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's exactly what I've been doing is trying to contain it. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's not real. It's not authentic. It's not Mm -hmm. how I really feel. And, um, the idea of just entertaining the grandiosity, um, because it is going to pass through. It's not something that if it, if it comes up, um, it's good, but in the past, it's overwhelmed me because I didn't know how to control it, um, and I was, I was kind of mimicking what I thought excitement looked like, mm-hmm. versus really uh, playing it through uh, in my head as as to what feels uh, uh, true to true to me. Um, I want to hey. go back.
1: Before you go, you know, what feels true and what feels good. And we are taught, we are taught, again, this is with virtually every patient, we are taught that grandiosity is bad and it leads to arrogance and people won't like you. And that is true when you act out grandiosity, which happens not to people who feel good about themselves, really, because it's really people who are insecure and have an underbelly of shame, uh, like um, I want to say, our president, but yeah. you know that are that you get that flip side is that arrogance, mm-hmm. that idea that there's there's no empathy, there's no room for a, a two person experience. So it's like you don't want to act out any behavior without thinking how it affects the person that you're with. But any fantasy that's in the privacy of our own mind, our thoughts, any thought is not bad. We're raised in religion to think that our think our thinking is uh, that our actions and our thinking are both the same and that it's not okay to have bad thoughts. And that is just not true. We can have the most evil bad thoughts that we want. It's <laughs> natural, right? It's like Freud when something good happens to uh, one of your colleagues and it's like, Oh, fucking asshole. You know, he doesn't deserve that. I'm more talented than him. Right. You know, like that's okay. You want to be aware and be like, okay, I'm just going to indulge this. Right. That's anger. And then again, get it out. And, you know, then you sort of come back to, okay, what's the best way to handle this? You know, do I value this friendship? (laughs) So I may not want to say that to my friend, but it's okay to, to satisfy myself in that way for that moment and, you know, give myself what I need to, so that I don't get anxious and depressed by holding it in and containing all that energy.
0: Yeah, it's just like when you watch a, a TV show or a cartoon, and uh, someone says something that triggers the other person, and then you see the person's <laughs> fantasy of how they would, yeah. really, how they want to react to it, and they're yes. just, like smashing that person's head in. Yes, but then they respond with the, you know, all right, well, here's another way we could look. You know, <laughs> they, they, you know, very calm, but it's after they've played it out in there.
1: Exactly.
0: Which, yeah. So that absolutely makes sense
1: exactly um, and you saw the stories you read the stories in the book right about how yeah, people express anger by going back to abuse scenes and neglect scenes where they really you know beat the crap out of their parents not as a dress rehearsal but the, it actually makes them more loving and connected out in the world it's it's a uh, counterintuitive at first but then it really makes so much sense that if you find safe ways to liberate uh Toxic emotions, you know, emotions that are that need to be validated and honored, but that when they're locked inside you, they just create havoc and mental illness,
0: frankly. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, my me and my ex-girlfriend, we would get into arguments and, you know, I would realize that we weren't going to see eye to eye or, you know, at that moment. And I would go take a boxing class mm-hmm. and then I would come back and be the most loving, most <laughs> present, you know, like. All right, here's what I think we, you know, all of a sudden you have clarity because you got it out, you know, physically uh, in in a healthy way.
1: That's perfect. (laughs) Oh, what a good boyfriend to do that. (laughs) That's that's so great, right? To get it, to take a break, to not react, to not start being mean, attacking, saying me, you, 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 or physical. There's so much domestic abuse in this country, right? We need skills to deal with anger and frustration, and it's taking a break going to the gym and a multitude of other things that we should be learning in high school that nobody teaches us tools to deal with our emotions. It's why we have war, right? In this day and age, why should we have war? It's like we can feed the planet. We can shelter the planet. Nobody needs to kill each other. It's, it's anger and it's anger that is acted out as opposed to experienced and processed with skills and wisdom.
0: Um, You know, so many uh, readers, listeners, people live in rural areas and don't have access to uh, therapy. But in your book, you do talk about you have some great uh, tools on how to handle anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, through grounding and breath work. Can you talk more about that?
1: yeah, I mean, therapy is certainly not for everyone, although <clears throat> I really do think of there, you know, there's a stigma still associated with therapy. But in New York City, where I live, it's shameful not to go to therapy. It's like mm-hmm. not it's like not exercising. It's like gym for the brain. But in the and in I think in California, it's probably like that, maybe in Chicago. May, you know, maybe some urban areas, but in the middle of the country, it's still, uh, and for many people, um, especially I noticed in a lot of, um, immigrant families and other countries, they don't really understand it's for the mentally ill and it's a throwback to in the seventies when, you know, if you acted badly and people threw you into mental institutions and like the whole stigma, um, but everybody suffers mental health problems and we all need help with our mental health, whether it's through a therapist or a counselor or a clergyman or a friend or a partner, uh, or skills we learn on our own, how to be our own loving parent to ourselves. So the book is intended as a, uh, it's a personal growth and self helpy but it's not like a, like a self help. And I don't think of it in the traditional sense of, of self help because it's, um, it's an education too. It's basic education and emotion. So in that I, I, I go over all the three corners of the triangle, which I didn't even talk about. We talked about core emotions, which are on the bottom of the triangle because they're in your body. If you, if you think of an upside down triangle, superimposed with the corner, with the, the bottom corner, kind of it, it, between your, your heart and your stomach. And then the, it, Kind of the top of the triangle, the flat side is sort of above your sh- your shoulders kind of going into your head, because when we have emotions, we kind of move away from them and we go up into our head. And so on the top of the triangle is are these inhibitory emotions which take us away from our core emotions, and the other corner is called defenses. And not in the bad sense of the word that um, Freud talked about defenses as as being a bad thing. It, it felt like sort of like these things we do to resist health. Defenses are anything that we do to avoid feeling pain, physical or emotional pain. And some defenses are good, right? Like when you have a terrible day and you decide to zone out to a great Netflix comedy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: perhaps watching Leo, yeah, um, yeah. and you want to feel better. But if we're constantly avoiding our, our emotions, we're going to end up uh, either with physical uh, physical health problems, uh, heart disease, um, back pain, uh, a multitude of problems and um, addictions, uh, relationship problems, um, depression, or chronic anxiety. And so uh, what the book is teaching you is how to identify defenses and how to work your way back down to core emotions and how to process core emotions to go uh, to re- Balance. It's really what's happening, on a, on a, again, to use science jargon, is we are regulating the nervous system, meaning we're taking it from a state of uh, arousal, high arousal, into those fight, flight, freeze, upset moods, uh, places where we just don't feel good, back to where we feel calm, confident, clear in our thoughts, connected to others, compassionate to ourselves, curious in the world around us, where we feel like engaging with other people and with, with our hobbies and interests and at work. And um, so that's where we all want to spend more time. So grounding and breathing, to come back to what you just asked, are, are skills uh, that everyone needs to know because these are basic skills to to begin to work with emotions and to begin to experience emotions in a safe way. And that's sort of the the key word is that we want to do this in a safe way. And um, another another thing that we need to understand is that emo- we have to slow down to be able to work with emotions. That we're all moving in our crazy modern society very very quickly to be so hyper productive, and that that takes us it, it drives anxiety and it and it takes us into our head and into our thoughts, which is great. I, you know I love my thoughts, but if I'm only in my head, then I'm going to crash and burn like I did uh, back in the '90s when I went through a couple of clinical you know major depressions, and it was from thinking that you know I was Superwoman. I didn't have to pay attention to I how I feel. I could go, 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 be a single mother, raising my kids, trying to build a career, doing, taking care of the house. And I crashed and burned. And um, I didn't know anything about emotions then. It wasn't until years later that when I learned all this stuff, that I was like, oh, now I have tools. So slowing down and learning some techniques to help ourselves slow down, learning the technique of deep belly breathing, learning the technique of what it means to ground, which is, was as simple as feeling your feet on the floor. But when somebody first told me to ground and to breathe, I was like, what are you telling me to do that for? That's, that's, that's ridiculous. What is that? You know, it can't be that simple. And these things, these are simple concepts, but they take practice and they take kind of understanding the whole context, which I tried to do in the book by showing what therapy, what therapy sessions look like where you really move around the change triangle, going from defenses, de- depressed states, upset states of being, what it means to regulate and, and calm anxiety to get to core emotions, what it means to be in touch with an emotion and to ride the wave. And then what you do once you You get there and how to maximize when you're in the gold area of feeling good and calm, how to even pay attention to those um, states and emotions like pride and gratitude and just kind of overall calm. We need to learn how to be with those in a way that it builds on those building blocks because it's not enough just to process our hard feelings. We have to learn how to stay with these good states Ah, uh, these authentic states of being and to really to to lean into them and to like um to to what's the word i'm looking for like just maximize them by noticing what they feel like physically and staying with those experiences for tw- 10 20 30 40 seconds which will feel like an eternity and then to see what that, ha- then what happens in the body and the mind, what does it bring up? Because when we focus on something, whether it's a bad feeling or a good feeling, the, the focusing itself, the mindfulness is, uh, activates the brain and readies it for change and rewiring. And that's what we're trying to do is to create real change, lasting change, uh, not just every time to keep the same triggers. And then we have to work so hard to like talk ourselves down and off the ledge and whatnot. <laughs>
0: You know, uh, after reading your book, I actually scheduled a breath work practice and I had it done, uh, yesterday for 30 minutes. Uh, I have, a, uh, uh, a friend of mine, she actually, she was on a podcast before this one, um, uh, Betsy and, uh, we did a breath work session. It was amazing. And, and, and so I know it, it, it sounds like woo, you know, the whole breath work and, uh, feet on the floor, but, um, when people realize how many of us aren't breathing deeply mm-hmm. aren't uh aren't connected to uh how we feel in the present moment aren't grounded don't feel our feet on the floor because we're so much in our head uh if you've never felt that then you don't know how much you need it yep right (laughs) exactly exactly
1: exactly and um you know it's interesting like I I was raised by a New York City psychiatrist and any of this stuff like when the mere mention of emotions was you know and being with experience was like considered new age bullshit and I rejected it for years and became sort of a an analyst, you know that uh, never paid attention. We were making, inter- you know, you listen and make interpretations. So it was only through understanding that this was based in neuroscience that allowed me to open my mind and heart to 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 grounding, to breathing, to the emotional life. And I, again, why we don't learn this in basic biology in, in high school, I don't understand. I think we will in uh, you know, 10, 20 years down the line because everybody's traumatized in our society and our society is, is sick. And uh, there's a growing uh, field of uh, trauma-informed uh, social-emotional learning for, for early childhood. And uh, adults need to know the skills so that we are better parents, better teachers, better friends. And uh, it's, this is all grounded in, in effective neuroscience, it's grounded in infant mother research, it's grounded in emotion theory and how, theories of how people transform, and uh, it's grounded in neuroplasticity. We now know the brain changes from birth until death, and, and we can do things to help ourselves. And until our education system educates us about these ideas and these notions and gives us tools and skills, we have to take it upon ourselves to educate ourselves. And so that's great. I'm glad the book inspired you to, uh, to rethink breathing. And, and just so people know, on my website, I have tons of free resources. I have instructions on how to breathe. I explain what grounding is. I have videos on um, Changed Triangle YouTube channel going through uh, what it means to experience a feeling, kind of these safe, gentle, um, experiential videos that you can watch to just dip your toe in, to give you a taste of what it means to get out of your head and into your body, and, um, and all the way to full presentations and discussions on the change triangle and talks that I've done and uh, articles. So however you like to learn, there is stuff on um, HillaryJacobsHendel.com. And it's all free.
0: Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, last question. and I ask this of everyone at the end. I always feel like there's always one listener out there who may be on a precipice of completing suicide or taking their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person?
1: I would say there is always hope for healing. And there is hope for healing for three main reasons. That your emotions mean something. And emotions are a catalyst for change. When you can get deeper into that there is a story for why you feel this way. You are not broken. You are not defective. You are not biochemically uh, destined to feel as terrible as you do, you need to see a good trauma therapist, someone who specializes in AEDP or somatic experiencing or EMDR, but not just anyone. Someone who understands attachment and connection, because you're lonely, and you, you know, people that want to take their lives feel utterly and utterly alone, and like that they can't really share what's going on because either they'll be tossed in a mental institution or something bad will happen, or they've tried and they've had just shitty therapy. And there's a lot of shitty therapists and shitty therapy out there. So it's really important to get, uh, to get good help. Uh, the, so emotions are a catalyst for healing good relationships, whether it's with a therapist or anybody else are a catalyst for healing. And thirdly, there's hope because the brain can change like I just mentioned from birth until death that you can feel better and reach out there are um I'm sure you have on your website probably suicide Absolutely. hotlines um and various other places or somebody safe and if there's no one safe then reach out to a stranger call a suicide hotline go to an emergency room call 911 Give it one more chance. Same thing if you're addicted to opioids or something else that that is as hopeless as it feels. And as you're caught in a cycle of needing that drug, there's something called harm reduction. And harm reduction is that people will meet you where you are. They won't tell you you have to get off drugs to go to a, a support group. They will meet you where you are, and they will connect you and make you feel better. There's all these new programs that are cropping up our addiction um, programs are terrible because they don't focus on connection. They focus on pathologizing mm-hmm. and it's your loneliness is a killer. And so loneliness and reconnecting with others and reconnecting with yourself is the key to feeling well.
0: Yeah. Johan Harari just wrote a book called lost connection. I read it. Talks about that, and it's very powerful. I'm, I'm working to get him on the, on the podcast. So if you're listening, uh all right, c- c- you know join us thank you so much uh for being on this uh Hillary jacobs handle and um please go to you can go to your i'm sure they can go to your website to get the book mm-hmm. uh, or amazon or audible if you want to listen to it um or the library um you know there's so many different resources then you also have you said a blog uh yep. a lot of resources on your website uh that yeah,
1: you can Google the change triangle and you'll see just tons of stuff come up. And on the website is Hillary Jacobs uh, You can Google just my name and there's, I'm, I'm everywhere on, on social media. I hate social media, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the way to uh, transmit educational information. It's really the main way these days. And uh, yes.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Bye. Great.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Leo. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye-bye.